All righty, let's dig in. You ready to get started? Brand new book to focus our attention on this morning, the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to go chapter by chapter, of course, verse by verse, all through five chapters, and then on to 2 Thessalonians. Now we're going to ask for the Lord's blessing, as we always do before we consider his word. Our Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge our uh, dependency on the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our understanding, to make sense of your truth so we can understand it, put it into practice, and be blessed. We thank you, Lord. We're excited. And a brand new book to study. The first uh, epistle ever written. The first one. We're taking a look at it this morning. We pray, Lord, for these truths and insights to make a difference in how we live our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. When someone becomes a Christian, they need to start reading the Bible. They ask for a suggestion where they should start reading. Where do you usually point them? You point them to the book of? Always. Uh, It's John, the gospel, or First John, and why is that? Well, we're, we're thinking, and I think rightfully so, because of the short sentences, the simple definitions of what being a Christian is and what it is not, and just un, uncomplicated exhortations like, love God. Whoa, that's pretty easy. Walk in the light, you know? Love your brothers, you know? So that's what we do with the, with the new ones. Now, interestingly, check this out. Paul the Apostle is going to come into this town, the great missionary evangelist who's going to write 13 New Testament books. He knows what he's doing. Comes into town, preaching the gospel there, preaching up a storm, marketplaces, parks, corners. He even goes into the Jewish synagogues. Uh, where, and, and the whole city is worshiping idols. They don't know much about Uh, the God of the Bible. So after 21 days, he has some success, but he has to flee for his life, as usual, but only after three weeks. And in his wake is a brand new church that began after only three weeks with the gospel. And the Apostle Paul, Silas, and Timothy were there planting, but brand new believers. So about three months or so later, he finds himself thinking, he has some reasons to contact them, see how they're doing, give them some teaching. He, he takes his pen, and he's going to write these brand new Christians. They only had really him there for three weeks. They're only about three, four months old in the Lord. And, and what is he going to teach them? He's going to teach them about the end of the world. He's going to mention... The second coming, that will be his theme. He calls it the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath. He's going to tell those new believers about how Jesus is the rescuer of the coming wrath. And he explains how he does that in something called the catching up. We call that the rapture. He's going to explain this to brand new baby Christians. The very first New Testament book. They don't even have other letters yet. It's the first one. And he's talking to them about the Antichrist, about the deception in the world, about false teachers, about how to live a sanctified life to these baby Christians. 
he expounds on the great theme of the second coming. So truly, the second coming of our Lord and Savior is the central theme of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and as I said, the second follow-up letter as well. And so there you have it. You know, it is the Apostle Paul's opinion that new Christians can handle the whole deal. They can dive in and they can know the deep truths. They're hungry for it. They have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can teach them these things. I'm all for pointing them to John and 1 John, but you know, I had somebody who got saved in this church. I can't remember who it was, but it came up to me and said, man, and he's a brand new believer. He says, I'm reading the book of Revelation. And he says, I'm on fire. (laughs) Well, yeah, because the earth is on fire. (laughs) You know? And so, I mean, nothing more to motivate you than the end of the world and in light of Jesus' return and rescue, how we should be living. Man, I think that's a pretty good book to recommend. But here we have 1 Thessalonians. One writer put it this way as we look to start this new book. As the old adage asks... If you were to be shipwrecked on a desert island and you could, in this case, only have one book of the Bible, you might choose 1 Thessalonians. It's written to tell a group of brand new believers what's really important. It distills down the essentials of the faith and the gospel and tells us how to live for Jesus until he comes again to rescue us from the coming wrath. So, yeah, I'm excited about this book. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. So, a little understanding. Several months, as I've said, have passed since he planted this church uh, a few months earlier. Paul's now 350 miles southwest in a city called Corinth, where he's up to his old tricks again, and he's planting yet another church. And this one's going to be a doozy, right? (laughs) The church of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, right? But while he's in Corinth, Timothy, who got left behind and also sent back to, to see how they were doing in Thessalonica, has returned to Corinth. And he said, man, despite the severe persecution and a a couple other problems, they're doing well. But Paul, they're having trouble with, and he expressed a couple concerns. And Paul said, oh, man, I got to write them. And he sat down as a response to Timothy's coming with the concerns to write 1 Thessalonians. And it starts with verse 1. We're going to take a look at Nine verses, it, it, we call it chapter one. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were all there those three weeks. They planted the church together, and now they're all there in Corinth together. The missionary team, the church planters, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing on, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. 
you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And in spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia and Achaia is now north and south Greece. It's all Greece. It's all Greek to me. That was funny. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in all of Greece. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they, their detractors, they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. All right, so there is our text for this morning. We'll take it in, in three bits. But let me just tell you that in these nine verses, is, it's really a microcosm of the theme of the entire book. And let me tell you why. Uh, first of all, Timothy says they're, they're downcast and, and discouraged. Severe persecution. So they need to be encouraged. So his first objective is to encourage these believers. All right? And so... There's a lot of affirmation, and we're gonna, and we've seen that already. Number two, they were dealing with some bad guys who wanted to undermine the relationship with Pastor Paul, Pastor Silas, and Pastor Timothy, who started the church. And so Paul has to spend two chapters mending and reestablishing and clarifying, remember back when we said this and we were like this with you, it takes him two chapters to reestablish and strengthen that link between them, almost as, as much as he talks about the second coming. Why is that? Because if the bridge of communication between the messenger with the message that saves is disrupted by talk over here and talk over there, that person can't hear what the messengers say. And so this is a big satanic ploy that happens all the time. So he has to spend, unfortunately, equal time of verses with mending and pleading and reconciling and affirming and making sure we're good, right? We're good, all right? And, and because why? It doesn't matter how good he's going to talk about the second coming if you can't receive it. Right? So there's a lot of that in the letter, and you already hear it. Like they themselves say, we don't have to say anything. You hear that? Because somebody's trying to say, hey, you guys are, you know, you're foolish. The church planning team, they're just using you and all of this stuff. And we're going to see that be fleshed out in the letter. So we get a little of that already. So encouragement, because they're downcast. And then affirmation of relationship, we're going to see that. And then thirdly, they had some questions about the second coming. They were confused. A couple of them had already died, and somebody told them, oh, they missed it. They missed out. They, they, you have to be alive at the time the Lord comes. And so he's like, oh, i got to write and explain the whole sequence. And so he's going to address 
uh, future things with them and really called the day of the Lord or the second coming. And so uh, with that, uh, here we go. First Thessalonians, you know, uh, let me just tell you before we take a look at the opening, uh, one through four, here's his points of encouragement. Verses one through four says, you're in a safe place. That's the encouragement of one through four. Then five through eight, he's going to say, you're doing a good job. And then thirdly, he's going to say, you're going to be rescued. Everybody, those who have died in the Lord and those who are alive at the time of his coming. So three words of encouragement that just kind of touch on the same basis that that we, we know that the outline of the letter forms. So let's take a look at one through four, the opening or the greeting, where he's going to say you're in a, a safe place. Now, we've already read it. So, you know, back in those days, they had scrolls, and so you had to say who you were at the beginning uh, to avoid having them to unroll the scroll and find out who is this from. So they said, hey, you know, it's, it's us here. It's the church planning team. Paul, with these guys, they may have been writing, helping him write. He had bad eyes. And so he's letting them know, and he's, and he's writing. Just everything he says is to encourage them, right from the opening sentence. He's saying, we're writing to the new church there. You called out ones, the word ecclesia. Uh, in the Greek, it means to be called out by God. Out of this world of unbelief and darkness and into his kingdom. So he says, I'm talking to those of you who have been called out of a city, Thessalonica, right? But I'm also writing to people in Thessalonica, and you also have another address. You're also located in not only this Greek city, but you also live in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You could have stopped there for encouragement. He's saying... When you become a Christian, God opens a door, an invisible door through, through which you walk into his kingdom, his house, his presence, his, his city that he has created, that has firm foundations, that's more real than this one. And he's saying, yeah, sure, it's unsafe in Thessalonica, but you don't just live in Thessalonica. You, by your faith, you live in in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like that proverb that says, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. Those who are right with God run to it and are safe. You run into the name. How do you do that? Well, God has filled you. He's in you. You're in him. I mean, is there anything more safe than saying, where do you live? I live in God's house. Who's, who's answering the front door? God. You know, if somebody wants to talk to me, God answers the door because I live in his house. I mean, that's what he's trying to say. Hey, I get it that you live in a, in a place where they're, they're really putting it to you. You not only live there, but you live, your address is in God. That's just a super thing to think about. And, and so, you know, they need to feel safe. And so you can just feel it by reading this paragraph. Hey, man, no matter what your outward circumstances are, 
You are secure. Now, his friends are really feeling unsafe for a really good reason because uh, there's a lot of persecution going on there in that Greek city. Yeah, I've got a map, a modern-day map, that's just going to tell you how it came about, all right? As you will recall, down here in Syria, where Syria would be, uh, is Antioch. And the Antioch church was the Gentile, first Gentile church of non-Jews, and they had missionaries, and they had a second missionary journey with Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas left Syria and said, let's go check on the churches that we established uh, last missionary journey, all right? So they went the land way through what is modern-day Turkey, and that's most of the churches in the New Testament were in there, right? Well, Paul and Silas got to a place right about here called Derby, and on their first time through... A guy named Timothy got saved. And within that year, he really exploded for the Lord. So when Paul and Silas arrived in Derby, everybody said, oh, man, check out Timothy, man. And, and, and there was a, a thing that happened with Paul and Timothy that would last 15, 20 years. And so Timothy joins them. So now we've got the three guys who said, hello, it's from us, all right? There, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are evangelizing through Turkey, and they get to a place named Tro Troas, right? It's a dead end. What do we do? And Paul has this vision. A man from Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece, says, come over and help us. So they set sail, and they came over, the three of them, right? And they landed at a place called Kavalat now, but it's Philippi. And the Lord opened a, a woman's heart there, a woman of means, Lydia, and everything was going good. They started the first church in Europe. The gospel came to Europe, right? And, and everything was going good until, you know, there was this fortune teller who had a demon who was bugging Paul the apostle day after day. These men are telling you how to be saved. They're from God. And Paul is like, you know what? God doesn't need endorsement from the devil, you know? Come out of her. And he cast that demon out. And she couldn't do her thing. She couldn't divine anymore for her master. And the boss went ballistic. Instead of getting saved and go, wow, that's power, <laughs> you know? No, he got angry. And he stirred up a mob. They threw them into, they beat them half to death. The missionary team threw them into jail right there in Kabbalah. And God rocked that place with an earthquake and set them free because why? What you don't expect to hear at midnight in a jail after getting beat half to death are hymns of joy to God. And God just got so blessed. He goes, oh, I can't get day myself. <laughs> and, and, and he just, their, their chains fall, fell off and all this wonderful, the, the jailer goes, what must I do to be saved? You know? And he brought in his family and he washed their wounds and all of this and all of that. Oh, well. You know how it ends. Um, they find out that they did this to Roman citizens. Paul's a Roman citizen. So the city finds out and goes, Ooh, get them out of there. Tell them to go. Whoops, we made a mistake. And Paul goes, uh, no, excuse me. You come down and apologize. Then we'll think about leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Love that attitude. And so they come down and you know the story. They leave. Where do they go? Limping, bloodied, scarred, they limped their way 
to Thessalonica. And here's what happens. Acts 17. Now they traveled, limping, bruised, but happy. They led the jailer. They got a church there. And came to this place called Thessalonica. It's Name changed to Salonica, and now it's called Thessaloniki. I like Thessalonica better. You, you say Nika, I say Niki, you know. Where there was a Jewish synagogue. So let's start with something where there's a Bible, at least. So as was Paul's custom, he went there to preach for three Saturdays, the Jewish day of worship. In a row, he opened the scriptures to the people explaining the prophecies about the suffering of the Messiah and his coming back to life and proving (laughs) that Jesus is the Messiah. Some who listen, some, watch this, not a big Jewish presence in this new church at Thessalonica. Some who listened were persuaded and became converts. Oy vey, that's nice. (laughs) Including a a large number, larger, of godly Greek men. Okay, so they were hanging out at the... uh, synagogue perhaps, and many important Greek women as well in the city. But the Jewish leaders were so jealous, they, they stirred up trouble with some worthless thugs from the streets, hanging out, hey, you guys busy today? You want to go cause a, tr- a riot? Yeah. So they formed a mob and started a riot, and it goes on. They attacked the home of Jason. So Jason lived next door to the synagogue. Jason's a Greek name. He's Greek. Right, So everybody's getting saved, and they're leaving the synagogue. And so they're going to worship at Jason's house next door. Well, the Jewish rabbis are like, what? You know, we're not going to have this. So they got mad. And, and so they went to the city, and not for, they went to Jason's house to, to get a hold of the church planners. And they dragged out Jason. They couldn't find Paul and the missionary team. They dragged out poor Jason. He opened his home. You know, brand new believer, not even days old. It's some of the other believers and took them before the council instead. Listen to this compliment. Paul and Silas have turned the rest of the world upside down. Whoa, I wish they could say that about us, right? And now they're here disturbing our city. Oh, yes, quite a disturbance, telling us how much God loves us and died for us and wants to bless us and give us eternal life and take away all of our sins and be our heavenly father. What a disturbance. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Whatever. And Jason has let them into his home. He's a week old in the Lord. He just got a little pacifier here. <laughs> They're all guilty of treason. They could kill you for that. You see the look on Jason's face? For they claim another king, Jesus, instead of Caesar. The people of the city, as well as the judges, were concerned at these reports and let them go only after they posted bail. Cost them money. That night, the Christians hurried Paul and Silas off to the next city. Done. That's it. That's how this church he's writing to got established. Three weeks with the Apostle Paul, a beating to the home church. The guy who said, hey, Paul, Timothy, Silas, you want to come to my house? You know? You know? And the next morning, it's like, right? I mean, it scared you. Think about him. (laughs) They drag him off, you know, and so I could see you do that to somebody who's known the Lord for three years. 
but not three days. And this is why Paul says, you are an example for the whole world of how to be a Christian. They're three weeks old. They're a few months old. But in spite of the suffering, Jason goes back and they're having a Bible study. Maybe not as brightly with the, all the lights lit, <laughs> uh, but they are continuing in their faith. And so that, that's, that's what went on there. That's what's going on. That's the pressure. Their families have disowned them. The, the co-workers are mocking them. Uh, they're denying them access here and there. You know, they came to faith, and they have all this joy in their hearts. Their sins are forgiven. They feel like, oh, yes, I found the Lord. And then they have to wake up in a world where they have to realize not everybody in the world is as happy as they are to have found new life in God. How sad. The most joyous, wonderful thing that can happen to a human being is to have eternal life, your sins forgiven, and the love of God to start to be a good citizen and to be a good person and to share that love with other people and to leave your wretched, self-centered ways. And that is rejected and frowned upon and persecuted. That does not make much sense at all. And so he says, you're in a safe place. We can have our one through four verses again. He says, you know, we, you're safe under our health, heartfelt prayers. You're safe because you're in the care of uh, Jesus and God the Father, who, notice, are one there. He hasn't developed the idea that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, but uh, if you're in God the Father, you're in the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Whoever's seen me, John 14, 9, has seen the Father, you see. And so he says, you're in this safe place. Well, uh, one more thing before we pass uh, on to the next part. He's still encouraging them and he's saying, listen, you guys, come on. He chose you. He chose you. God yeah, this is, it wasn't all your idea. It turns out that somewhere 10 million years before there was an earth, God knew you and selected you and predestined you. Nothing says safe like the predestination of God. If God has predestined me to arrive safely in heaven, which it says over and over again he has, then I'm fear-free. I'm worry-free. I could live in Thessalonica where they're turning up the heat because I live in God the Father who has chosen me and predestined me to make it. Who's going to thwart that plan? Who's going to say, you know what, God? I'm going to get in the way of this predestination. Uh, not even I, myself. It's out of my hands. Well, how does that all work, you know? It sound kind of, doesn't sound kind of fair to me. You know what? Listen, if you're sitting there wondering, am I chosen? Choose him, and you'll be chosen. <laughs> it's really not that hard. <laughs> That's how easy it is. You know what? When you get there, you can't do spiritual trigonometry right now. But when you get there, you're going to be a whiz at those kinds of things, right? You're going to go, of course, God choosing, we're choosing, it works together, got it, right? But right now we don't get it. But you know what? Could we just be happy 
that he says, if you choose me, I've chosen you to choose me. If you choose me, I'll choose you, right? <laughs> you know what? Just get saved. <laughs> it's really easy, and he wants you to. So he's saying that. Uh, uh, can I just go pull up those three sentences real quick? And uh, this is the heaviest part of the message. The rest goes pretty fast. He says, listen, you want to know you're saved? They're telling you you're not saved. He says, listen, look at the work produced by faith, the labor prompted by love, the endurance inspired by hope. The word order here, oh, catch this, because of the difference between heaven and hell in how it's laid out to you. One wrong move in the sentences, and you go from heaven to hell, all right? So here's what he's saying. He's saying, you've had this experience in your heart which is prompting this passionate working out of the gospel and your new life and the way you're serving God and sharing your faith. And he says, number one, he says, uh, by the way, dead religion is people who are, uh, the work is produced by one's own effort to justify oneself. There's a labor prompted not by God's love, but to get right with God and to earn that love. And the endurance is inspired with the hope to one day please God. That, my friend, ends in, depart from me. I never knew you, right? But if you got it the other way around, that everything you do and your hard work and the way you serve the Lord and your good deeds, the way you, 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 you stop, you keep a tight rein on your tongue, everything you do, the giving, the serving, the hard work, the difference between the word in the Greek work and labor, work is more of the result, labor is more of the sweat and the energy and the self-sacrifice. And he's saying, your simple trust in Jesus is showing itself in your life. That's what he's saying. And that your heart has experienced this love that produces this labor. And that labor means, man, for you to take a beating and then go back in and have another Bible study. And your friends mock you at work and you come back in and you have a sweet attitude day after day after day. That's the labor part. And he says, the only way people do that is having had experienced the love unconditional, it's agape there. Unconditional love has touched your heart and made you able to labor like that. To say no, all the times the devil comes to you with your favorite dance, <laughs> the favorite thing you just love to do before you knew the Lord, and he comes at you and comes at you and comes at you, and that labor, that's the word labor, no. No, no, in the name of Jesus. You know why you do that? He says, because your heart's been touched by the love of God. That's the thing. And you endure and you keep on doing it because the Christian word for hope is not, I hope it doesn't rain. It's the hope of trusting and knowing God's word is true. The promise is true and I'm just waiting for that to come to pass. So your hope is not ever a question whether he's going to come through or not. It's just simply waiting for it to be realized in your life. And he says, all that, if you ever want to know, you know, are you saved or not, you, all of this inner um, relationship with God is prompting this outward work in the Lord. All right, let's continue on. So he says, we've read it, but it's good to read it again. 
So he says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, he's chosen you, our gospel. And here's how you know you're chosen. Think back of when you got saved, man. It wasn't just someone talking at you with words, but it was this power with the Holy Spirit, a presence, a person, and with deep conviction. And you know how we lived among you for your sake, no matter what they're saying, right? You became imitators of us and the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed that message with joy. And so you became a model to everybody. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Greece, but all over the world. Man, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't even need to say anything about it. So not only are you in a safe place, number two, and we're picking up the pace now, you're doing a good job. You know, they wanted to minimize the impact and influence those Christians were having in the world. So they were trying to discourage them, these detractors, all right? And so he's saying, think back. You know how you know you're saved and how God is using you and the foundation of why you're making a big impact? It's because when we rolled into town, we didn't come up with some seminar. We didn't come at you with a presentation, a religious presentation. You know, we didn't come at you with a lecture, Blah, 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 more philosophies. Oh, yes, you know, one writer says this and all of that. Suddenly, out of nowhere, we were preaching the word of God. There was, and the word power there in your text is where we get the word dynamite. There is something supernaturally powerful and encoded in God's word. In fact, Jesus Christ is called the living word of God. God, the word of God is entwined with who Christ is and the power of heaven. So he says, when we're talking, you're sitting there and you're like starting your heart's beating, your mind's racing. And suddenly you welcome like, yeah, I like this. And something started to happen and the shackles dropped and the sin that had you bound. Suddenly you didn't even want to do it anymore. And you had power to stop. And those scales on your eyes, like the Apostle Paul had something like scales fall when he came to know the Lord, they fell off. Why? You weren't being lectured and some guy up there just talking words. It was the word of God that got in there to your soul, your spirit, where there's deep conviction. He says, not only the word of God with power, but a person, the Holy Spirit was there opening you up and changing your life. This is what we're talking about. It's not dead religious talk. It's about a person who comes into a congregation like Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons and was an immoral woman. And then somehow she hears the word of God and she turns out to be the first witness of the resurrection before any of the male disciples. We're talking about a murderer of Christians who along the way had been hearing the gospel preached so eloquently by Stephen. And something changed in Paul's heart. And he went from being a murderer because of the word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit to a missionary, saving and sacrificing his life for people he tried to kill. That's not a lecture. That's not the result of some guy getting up with some new ideas and more words, words, words. This is, he said, life-giving, supernatural thing, a lightning bolt from heaven that comes down and just, boom, opens people's eyes. 
my brother Judd, I told you about him. After 36 years of being estranged from the family, he got saved about a month and a half ago. I told you the story, but let me tell you about deep conviction in the word of God. I got a text out of nowhere, 36 hurtful, long years. How it happened, you remember I told you my brother and I, my other brother, got saved, 19 years old. I was in a, a bar at the time, as I've told you many times. I, I just heard a voice that said, why will you go to hell when you don't have to? And that's all I could hear over and over and over again. And I had to be walked out of the bar by that brother. And we both got saved. No Christians involved. We were, bam, wide open. We knew the Lord. We went home to Santa Cruz where my parents managed a hotel. And I've told you this many times, I know. And I walk in, my Jewish father's got the Bible open. He's just a brand new believer, not even going to church yet. My mother's scurrying around, my other sister's there, and Judd's there. 19, 18, 17, and 15. And we all got down on our knees and accepted the Lord together, led by my father. We all got baptized in the same tank. We just found a local church. It was a miracle. We all got dunked together, but Judd never got saved. He was the only one, and he went this way. And he, he, he had a terrible life, a horrible life painful life, violence, and all kinds of things. I just don't want to out him because he wants to come here and, you know. <laughs> and I want you to look at him cross-eyed. <laughs> so I get a text out of nowhere. Listen, I've been, you know, I've been, I've been online and I heard a little bit of the Bible. My diabetes is spiking. They don't know what's wrong with me. I'm going to die. I'm scared. I said, call on the name of the Lord. We haven't talked years and years and years. Call on the name of the Lord, John. Like I've told you for 36 years. And he goes, oh, I'm too afraid. Will you lead me in the prayer? And I told you the story. I went into the bathroom at the Mexican restaurant <laughs> on the phone with him. The music is pounding and people are trying to get in the door. I'm like, I'm leading my brother to the Lord. Go away. <laughs> so he couldn't even talk. I was dear Heavenly Father and I hear nothing. Oh, every day since then, in an email thread with the four siblings, we're back, we're talking and laughing. He's, I don't recognize him. My siblings are texting me on the side going, who is he? <laughs> who is he? He's nice. He doesn't use profanity. You know, he told me, he said, I never knew that I cussed. First of all, I never knew I cussed. Second of all, I never knew how much I cost, right? And now he says, Ross, I don't know. It gets stuck. It, it gets stuck right here. It's like, Ugh! you know? It wasn't words. Oh, you need to be a good person. Oh, that profanity is terrible. Yeah, you know, it was nothing like that. Something alive from heaven got into him and changed him with. Look at your text, deep conviction, you know, and, and, and just, I mean, we see it all, all the time. There was a couple sitting here and there, both of them brand new Christians. I baptized all four of them, a uh, last baptism. They're both sitting there, both couples, terribly lost, with Bibles on their laps. Both of them are serving. They both wear usher shirts now. It's been six months, right? 
this guy right here, it just looks, if you look at him wrong, he's going to bust your chops. <laughs> this guy is a changed man. It's the power of the living God. And what happened? He said, you welcomed. You opened your heart and went, what is that message? I kind of like it. I received it. Bam. Something happened. He says, that's how you know you're saved. And he says, you're doing a good job. Oh, man, I love that. He says, he says, you're doing a good job. They're talking about your faith, verse 8, all over the world, 550 miles away. I'm hearing about this new life. And what are they saying? You know, hey, did you hear about what's happening in Thessalonica? Drunks are getting sober. Uh, greedy people are generous. Hotheads are patient. Sexually immoral people have self-control. The arrogant are humble. Miserable people have a happy disposition. Mean people are nice. Selfish people, let me repeat that one. Mean people are nice. <laughs> Someone laughed in a funny way. Selfish people, <laughs> selfish people are other-centered. And they made a bonfire and burned all their idols, and now they worship God's son instead. He who the son sets free is free indeed. That's what's going on. And by the way, when it says the Lord's message in verse 8 rang out, that word means to thunder or to echo, to reverberate in ever-widening circles. Here they are, six months old in the Lord, babies. And he says, you guys are models. The word to model your faith there, that word means actually a mold that not only causes you to want to imitate, but it has the idea of the power to influence you to imitate. So in other words, he's saying to these six-month-old Christians who don't even have Bibles yet, who are being persecuted half to death, he's saying, you guys, the way you're handling this and the way you live your life and love the Lord, he said, you're like a star cookie mold. You know, if you want a cookie to come out like a star, you have a star. Are they called molds? <laughs> Cookie cutters. Thank you, a woman on the first one. <laughs> he said, listen, if you were to ask somebody, how do you make a real mature, healthy Christian? You go to a person at Calvary Chapel Thessalonica. You pull them out of the door and you say, see that? Be like him or her. Talk like him or her. Respond to your troubles like him and her. Start your day like him. Tell jokes like he tells. These kinds of things. Wow, that's so amazing. You're, you're, the, the Lord's message rang out from you. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. You know, we don't need to say anything about it. Our detractors, uh, you know, they know. So you're, you're doing a, a good job. You're in a safe place. And then finally, let's just wrap it up. It rounds out the encouragement with a couple key verses. Uh, you're going to be rescued. So stop worrying about uh, what's coming. The coming wrath is coming, and it is imminent, but you are going to be rescued. So he whets their appetite, you know, Notice this, and I like it. I'm just going to spend a minute here. He says, and he's talking about the detractors now. They themselves 
So if you ask a detractor, they're saying they got it spot on. He's saying, they're saying, this is how they describe you guys. They say that you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Bingo. He's saying, wow, you guys, look, this is what they're taking away from their exposure to your kind of Christianity. This is what they're saying, and this is the gospel right here. You know what? That's, they know the truth. You know, people, the unbelievers, it's not a question about, you know, more information. They know. They get it. They themselves say, well, of course, they don't say it like Paul said it or like I read it. Here's how they say it. You know, those Christians at this, like, uh, oh, man, yes, they, they turn to God from their idols to serve the living and true God and to wait from his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. They got it. They got the message. They just don't buy it. They don't want to surrender. So it's never with unbelievers so much. You know, I don't understand. I'm not, a, I, I don't believe. It's I won't believe. They, they got it. Oh, yes, it reminds me of where Jesus says in this parable in Luke 19 to the one who's perishing he pronounces judgment on them and says, I, you wicked servant, I will judge you by your own words. There it is. They themselves have said, they got the whole gospel right there. One quick story. I was working as a teacher in the East Bay. And during lunch break, the dean poked her head in the office and said, uh, Mr. Reinman, can I see you in my office? And then just went away, and I thought, I'm fired. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was kind of hoping I would be because, you know, I wanted to work more at the church. Uh, but so I went in her office, and I just braced myself because it's usually a complaint about me sharing the gospel, right? So I sat there, and she's trying to say some nice things, and then I can hear it coming, you know, and then I, I'm looking at her desk, and on her desk is a piece of paper with red ink, and it has a big quote, and it says, and I'm trying to read it upside down, right? <laughs> so I'm reading, Jesus died for our sins. <laughs> and then my first thought was, at least they got it right, right? <laughs> so, so someone went running into the dean and said, that Mr. Ryman, and so here's what she says. She says, well, a student came in, and uh, there were a couple of them. There always are. And, and they said that you said that Jesus died for our sins. And so I'm, I'm starting, the wheels are going, and I'm ready to defend myself, and there's a pause, and then she says, wow, my hat's off to you. How did you ever work in that into a grammar and vocabulary class. <laughs> and I said, well. <laughs> she goes, you know, young people need religion today. And I just think you should keep up the good work. Try to be a little more subtle, you know. <laughs> and I just said, I'll do my best. <laughs> and I left there. But the point of why I brought that up is because they know Jesus died for our sins. Oh, 
from your own lips on that terrible day if they don't repent. Well, I didn't know. Oh, you didn't know? Oh, can we just rewind the tape to that day where you were in the office and you said the words, Jesus died for my sins. And you were mad about it, weren't you? You were trying to get him in trouble, right? Yeah, they know. So the verse is there. Let's talk about the coming wrath. You know, I mean, it's a beautiful thing right there, what he's talking about. He's saying, here's the gospel. Number one, in a gospel message, you have to turn. That's called repenting. And you have to have faith to do that. So there's the turning to God from idols. So there's a break. So number one, there, there has to be a break. You can talk all you want about how you know the Lord. First John says, if you continue to walk in the darkness and claim to know him, you're a liar. That's why we love First John. He's very clear, right? So there has to be a break. Metanaeo in the Greek means repent. And it re- really means to do a U-turn, to have a change of heart. So he says, you, you have your U-turn from idols, and idols, anything that the sinful heart sets its desire on. You know, we have lots of them, right? Whatever your heart, in a sinful way, wants to give itself over to uh, is an idol. So we, we turn away from that to serve the living God. So what I want you to see is Christianity is not just about cutting something out. You know, lots of Buddhists do that. You know, it's not about what you don't do. Well, I don't do that because I'm a Christian. Doesn't matter. You can still be lost. It's about repenting from those things and then receiving life through Jesus Christ, right? To serve the living and true God is just to point out that everything that the sinful heart desires is dead, inanimate, and can't deliver on those promises. Like God is alive and active and real. The real part is the true God. He's true. Everything your sinful heart wants to set itself upon and run after is fake and dead. You know all the promises. Oh, if you do this, then you'll have that. And every time, it just makes things worse and more empty than before. And then he says, so while you're serving the Lord, you're waiting from Jesus, the Son of God, whom he raised from the dead, of course, who's alive now, but he's coming again as a rescuer to rescue us from the coming wrath. And so what does that mean? Well, uh, we've already been saved, and Jesus died as an offering and taking the wrath that we deserve. So it's not about hell. The coming wrath is, has a title. It's called the Day of the Lord. Or it's called the Great Tribulation, as Jesus called it. So it has a title. And it's not a day of judgment. It's not the apocalypse or Armageddon. It's a seven-year period that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. The beginning is a peace treaty that's signed that brings peace in the Middle East with Israel. It has a middle. The Antichrist, or the guy calling the shots during those years, uh, is going to proclaim himself God and institute that whole 6-6 thing. And it has an end. It's called Armageddon. But in the meantime, there are 21 judgments coming down from heaven that Second Peter says causes the earth to be on fire, the day of the Lord. Now, uh, 
no one, people who say that the rapture and, and, and the rescue from the coming wrath is just escapism, you know what? We are not, we do not escape the wrath of man. The wrath of man, the wrath of the devil, the wrath of the devil often uses the wrath of men. Uh, Christians have been martyred for centuries. Terrible, torturous things. We are not spared from those kinds of things. Uh, ISIS is cutting our heads off even this afternoon. So we don't escape man's wrath. But there is something called the wrath of God. It is a seven-year period by which all of human history is destroyed. It's over. From that, the Bible promises rescue for the church. Let me just show you Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon that birthed the church, mentions it. Acts 2. Peter's preaching the day of Pentecost. The church is being born. Check this out. He says, in the last days, they said, what's up with this? You're speaking in tongues and all of this. God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Now we're in the tribulation. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. From what? Answer the question. From what? Is he talking about hell there? He's not talking about hell there. Have you never noticed this before? He's talking about the coming wrath, the day of the Lord, when there'll be changes in the heavens and the earth will be on fire and there are 21 judgments falling down. Jesus said, there's nothing like it before, nothing after. And if those days weren't cut short, he called it the great tribulation, Jesus, Matthew 24. No life would be, be here. That period, and Jesus quotes this, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great day, and more. So Jesus from Joel, the day of the Lord, Jesus in Matthew 24 quotes this verse, and he says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved from this. Yes, it does. You can take it out of context. And say to somebody, hey, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the way that we mean that is from eternal condemnation. But you're taking the verse out of context, which is okay, because it's true. And Paul uses this out of context. He takes it from Joel in, jo in Romans chapter 10, and he just plugs it in, a one-liner, but it's out of context. The context, in a good way, because it means you'll be saved from eternal condemnation. But in its original context, it means there's a coming wrath that you who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved from. And that's what he just said there. And he's going to go on to say in chapter 4 and 5 that we're not appointed to God's wrath. Let me give you one more illustration from Revelation Revelation chapter 1 through 3, you have the church being mentioned and talked to 
20 times the word church, one through three. In chapter four, the Lord speaks to John and says, let me show you the things that come after these things. Well, what were we just talking about? The church, the church, the church, the church. Seven times, church, 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 20 times, church, 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 church. And then he says, John, let me talk to you about what's coming after these things. Come on up here. And lifts, catches John up in chapter four to tell him about the day of the Lord where you never again hear the word church. One through three, 20 times. Church, 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 church. And then John goes up in four and he says, let me show you what comes after these things, the church. So in chapters four and five of this letter, he's going to explain how you escape. He catches you up just like he did John. In chapter four of Revelation, he will come and he will take his church out of the way and then comes the wrath of God. Not the wrath of man, the wrath of God. And he says, listen, let me show you a picture of someone very happy to be spared the wrath of man. <laughs> the Yazidis, tribal people, trapped, surrounded by ISIS. Many times they face complete annihilation as they move in on them. No food, no water. They just know we're all going to die. Suddenly they hear chop, 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 chop. And a helicopter chopper comes down right in their midst, gets them on board, takes them up and away from all harm. And a photographer got a shot that went viral of a mom and a dad and a little kid who realized we've been saved from the wrath to come. And that's just man's wrath. You see, he wants, God is speaking through Paul. These aren't Paul's ideas. The Spirit of God wants his church to know you are spared from the hour of tribulation. I'm quoting the Bible. You are spared from the hour of tribulation that will come upon the entire earth. Speaking in Revelation 3 to the church. I will spare you. I will keep you. And he wants us to know that. You've got to know that. You've got to stop saying, you know, I think the church is going to have to struggle. You know, of course, hello, we're all struggling. Yes, but we don't come under the wrath of Almighty God. He picks us up, takes us away. Chup, 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 chup. There we are to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for 1 Thessalonians. And in these few verses, Lord, already we are inspired. We thank you for your great love and your encouragement, your affirmation. And now, Lord, help us to put these truths into practice and to be blessed and be a blessing for you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. 
If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.